0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Come on in and have a seat. We're uh, so glad to have you with us today. Uh, just, Just amazing to see everybody coming into the Lord's house. If you're a visitor with us today, just want you to know that you're we're, you're so welcome here. We we love to have you. We're just so glad to, uh, that you came and worshiped with us and that God has brought you here and hope that you'll just feel welcome among us because you are welcome and you're loved here and uh, God is here and uh, we're, we're here to show you his love. And so if, uh, if you're new with us and you, you have something you want to find out or you need some help, uh, all of us pastors have our phone numbers on the back of this bulletin and you can feel free to call us or text us this week and uh, we'll we'll walk with you in any way we can, or uh, answer anything that you need answered. So, anyway, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, I wanted to start out by just uh, praising the Lord for the free wheelchair mission we raised twenty three thousand five hundred eighty dollars yesterday. Yeah. This uh, this is a, a ministry that provides wheelchairs to. Kids in third world countries that can't get a wheelchair, that can't, that can't have access to a wheelchair. And uh, we're able to to uh, build those wheelchairs. I think it's about $100 a piece. Is that right? Give or take. Yeah, so you're, you're looking at, you know, 230 some wheelchairs that are going to go out. And that's a big deal to me. My son, Aiden, is uh, he's home right now with a broken femur. And uh, he's been stuck on the couch. He, he has a, a condition. His bones are really brittle. He's broken many times. And he's stuck on the couch f- since last Saturday. He hasn't moved off the couch for seven days. He's probably got another seven days before he can use his wheelchair. And uh, it's a big deal. I have to pick him up and take him to the bathroom and all these things. And and uh, it's a, this wheelchair, uh, it means a lot to me because uh, his wheelchair gives him freedom and gives him an ability to, to move and I can't imagine <clears throat> I can't imagine these kids in these countries that spend years and years and years without any mobility whatsoever. And I've seen them in those countries and my heart's broke for them in those countries. And for us for our church to take part in this is a big deal. We should worship today. We should we should praise the Lord that He would pick us to be a part of these kids' life because they don't just get a wheelchair, they they get the gospel and My son Aiden, he already understands at 12 years old how he's not going to be plagued by this brittle bone problem one day. And he tells me, in heaven, I won't have this, Dad. Wow. So these kids get to hear about Jesus and get to know that wheelchair today, but heaven tomorrow. What more could you ask for? So thank you for being a part of that. Goodness. Uh, I'm just thankful. Really thankful to be able to share that with you guys. Uh, we got some things coming up this week. Uh, we got, uh, we're getting ready for VBS, which is actually next week, but uh, we still need some volunteers and some help with that, so plug in to that where you can. And uh, we have the Walk for Life coming up this coming Saturday, and that's for True Care, the, the Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's a fundraiser for that, so come out for that and uh, be a part of that. There's still sign-up forms out in the hall for that, but that's uh, just a good opportunity to to uh, support the ministry to women that are in, in need because they're in a crisis pregnancy. Um, we've got uh, summer in the Psalms. Don't forget, if you haven't joined us, we're uh, having a, a new Wednesday night ministry for the summer. We go to Washington Park. Uh, just come right after work at 5.30 and we'll grill some hamburgers for you. And you can bring a side if you, if you have time. If not, just come anyway. And uh, it's just a nice time. We just bring our lawn chairs and uh, worship the Lord. Hear a, a, a challenge from the Psalms from one of the men of the church is going to be bringing that. And we have a little program for the kids. And it's just really meant for a time to, to fellowship and, and enjoy our time together and hear from the Lord. So just be a part of that. And then, lastly, I hope you got your communion cup out of the hallway. Uh, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper today, and um, I just pray that you'll prepare your hearts to worship in that. If you need to, you need to get your heart right or do business with God. Let's let's start doing that right now. So stand up on your feet and uh, let's just pray. God, thank you for being our great God. Thank you for bringing us here from our places, God. That you—it's no accident that you you brought us here, Lord. It's you're among us, God. You're here, and we're here to worship you, Lord. And I pray that we would do that today, that our hearts would, would lay down our burdens and confess our sins if we need to hear from you, Lord, and believe that you want us to hear something from you and obey you today, God. And I just pray that most of all, that we would worship you, Lord, as we take communion and know that you died on the cross for us so that we could be free from all this, God. And while, you, while we're being freed from it, you walk with us here. I pray that we would. Amen.
1: Amen. If you've been here the last few weeks, Pastor Mike's been preaching out of the book of Ruth, and it's been super impactful for me personally in so many ways. But one of the things that jumped out at me is how Boaz is this man who's always invoking God's name. He's always uh, speaking kindness to others by the name of the Lord. Let me give you a couple examples in 2-4. Now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. And then in verse 12, he says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And then again in 310, he says, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. And Inspiring that. I want to be someone who just is always praising the Lord like we see this picture of Boaz. Let's do this morning.
2: Be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips.
1: Mm-hmm. as knew this about God.
2: a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain, and beyond the horizon, mercy for today, faithful you have been. To me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be. Kindness makes us whole You who shoulder our weakness And your strength becomes our own You're making me like you Clothing me in white Bringing beauty from ashes For you will have your bride Free of all her guilt, And rid of all her shame
1: someone like Boaz did with the name of the Lord this morning. you'll return to your places we will stand and sing again for our lord and savior glory for the due to his name
3: Hey, uh, good morning. So, if you don't know me, my name is Ashton Schaefer, and I am the ministry assistant here at College Heights. And I'm going to tell you about our new ch- church app today, but first, um, Pastor Max was talking with me a minute ago, and so VBS is eight days away, so really soon, and we are in some desperate need of some help decorating this place, and I know a few of you had s- said you can help, so if you're one of those people, if you can even just maybe go touch base with Pastor Max, and then... If you aren't helping decorate and you would like to, or you don't like decorating, but would like to, if you want to call Pastor Max, um, that would be great, so we can turn this place into Australia in a few days. Um, So, a church app. We um, are really excited about that, and so you guys can get your phones out with me. We're going to download it together, and it's going to be great. Um, (laughs) I made my family do it yesterday, actually. I don't know that they loved me, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, So you're going to go to your app store, whether that's Google or Apple, and you're going to type in C-H-B-C-C. So it's College Heights Baptist Church with an extra C. And then once you find it, there's a picture of um, what it'll look like. You're going to download it. Um, And it'll have you make an account, um, which you can do after service if you would like. Um, But there's three lines in the upper left corner, and you'll click on that, and it'll take you through, you know, making a password, email, all of that stuff. If you give online already, you can just use that login information. Um, Once you do that and have your password and email, it'll take you to a page that has your name and your address and your phone number. And that, um, we would really love if you guys could do that. Um, Just super important. Just help us be able to communicate better with you. Just update addresses and phone numbers and emails um, so that we can just, you know, get information out and, you know, just allow us to hopefully walk with you guys better. There's a lot of different things that you guys can do on it. Um, Give, listen to sermons, watch the live stream. Um, register for bbs if you haven't done that already you can do that Um, and then there are inserts about it in the bulletin or there's some just at um, all of the doors with instructions on how to download it and make an account and just all the information um, of what it's about and if you have questions or you have trouble downloading it you can grab me in the hallway or my phone number is on the back of the bulletin so you can text me or call me and i can help you with that so yeah thanks
1: Thank you, Ashton. Stand up if you would. Yeah, give her a round of applause. Stand up if you would, and we'll, uh, let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, um, we're grateful, grateful for all that you've done. Um, Thank you for the way that you worked yesterday in the wheelchair mission, and Lord, as these wheelchairs go forth, may your word go forth with them. May every wheelchair that goes forward, may it be an expression of, of your love and and may it be followed and and accompanied by the message of the the greatest love that you have for them extends far beyond a wheelchair and that is that you Lord God would send your only son to die in their place and so while their legs may not work the more important and the biggest problem they have is that a heart that's made of stone but Lord God you promised to give a new heart you promised to give a heart of flesh and a heart that will love you and so we ask for that that message to go forward with these wheelchairs. Lord, help us as we go forward in this service, as we sing praise to you. May you get the glory. May you alone get all the glory. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing it. I think we're in the wrong key sometimes that happens to us let us start that over for you guys key of e right i hope so go for it brenda you were landing down right This multiple times this morning. It was week.
3: really good this morning, <laughs> actually.
1: <laughs> See if we can find it here. Up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Well, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who is first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. It says in Revelation that someday we'll play with uh, the harps of, of God, and I don't think they'll play bad chords like this one does, so
0: <laughs> it'll be a good day.
1: Anyways, let me read a passage to you. Pastor Mike read this last week. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And I was struck. I read that this morning, and he starts out by saying, Remember. Do you remember what it was like to have no hope? Do you remember what it was like to be in the world and not have God? Then Paul goes on earlier in verse four. Read with me if you would. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This age is to come. What a glorious day it's going to be. Let's rejoice this morning in that.
4: Kids, third grade and under, you guys can go to Super Church if you'd like to. I think the first service actually clapped a little bit after that. You know, it's okay. Get a little excited about Jesus. Sing a little bit of happy day. Well, take your Bibles and turn over to Ruth chapter 4 this morning. Man, it's, sometimes it's just incredible to me to just stay in the Word of God. Just stay in it. Stay in it day by day. Stay in it week by week. Staying it message to message, staying it book by book. I mean, just to stay in the word of God. And and one of the things that is just so so joyous to me is that God is faithful. I know kind of sometimes if you go to church a lot, you hear that and you go, okay, so God's faithful. But I mean, he's faithful. He's just faithful. He's faithful to his children. You know, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's faithful to you. He's promised that he's sealed you in the spirit and he's never gonna let you go. Nothing's gonna snatch you from his hand and nothing's gonna separate separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. He's, He's faithful through the good times and the bad times and the hard times and the times where we're not sure what's going on. He's just faithful. I love to see that about the Lord. But I also love to see how faithful he is in working in this world. You know, it's pretty trendy today to act as if this world is out of control. Are you one of those that helps that trend? Like, oh my goodness, you know, prices are out of control and we're not gonna be able to do anything. And, you know, there's so much questionable stuff and evil in this world. And I I mean, it's pretty trendy to go, wow, this world's in big trouble and there's no hope and there's nothing to do, even among Christians sometimes. But that's not true. That's not true. Truth is, is there's evil in this world. We see it. We hate it. It breaks our hearts. But there is a God who is working and who has been working since he created this world. And he has a plan to finish this world out. And he's moving in our lives if we'll just open our eyes to see him. I right? see part of that is our fault. God's working and, and yet yeah, we don't look for him all the time, right? It's kind of hard sometimes to admit that he's in the dark days It's kind of hard to admit sometimes that he's in the trials. It's kind of hard to admit sometimes that, you know, he's moving even despite all this wickedness and evil that we see, but he is. And when we come to the book of Ruth, man, we've seen it, right? The book of Ruth is this incredible little story, but it starts out pretty rough. It does. It starts out with Elimelech and his wife Naomi taking their two sons, leaving Israel, leaving Bethlehem, leaving God, going to Moab, a hated enemy of Israel, where they don't worship the living God. And they they basically left because there was a famine that had come into the land. And they said, we know a better way to take care of ourselves than to trust God. That's really what they said. We know a better way to take care of ourselves than to trust God. And, and I, even that beginning is so good for us because as Americans, we really do kind of c- claim that We have a plan and we have an ability and we can take care of ourselves. And many times that means stepping outside of God's will and God's way and stepping outside of faith in God. Well, no, it doesn't work for us. It certainly didn't work for them. I mean, we read in chapter 1 that they went to Moab. The next thing we know, Elimelech dies. It's devastating to Naomi. I mean, literally, to be a widow in a foreign country meant you couldn't take care of yourself. But she had these two boys still. She could have gone back to Israel. She could have gone back to trust the Lord. She could have taken her sons back to trust the Lord. But nope, she didn't do that. She stayed in Moab. Eventually, her boys married Moabite women. And again, they're still saying, we think it's safer where we are in doing it our way than it is to trust God. And then they married these two young Moabite women, and then they died and then there's three widows, one a foreigner, two Moabites, and yet they're in trouble. I mean they're in trouble to some degree and Naomi realizes she's got to go back to Israel. And we talked about how hard it is to go home sometimes and return to God because man there's humility and there's repentance and you know there's acknowledgment of sin in that and and then there's just the explanation to everybody around you that man, you've been gone, and here's the things. And we talked about how hard that is, and and yet she doesn't have a choice. She's going to go home. Thankfully, we see God's move already, whether she acknowledged it or not, because her daughter-in-law Ruth says, I'm not going to go back to my people. I'm not going to go back to my God. I'm going to go where you go, live where you live. Your God is going to be my God my God, your people is going to be my people. Where you die, I'll die. And where you're buried, I'll be buried. She commits to her in this crazy way. And yet we read of Naomi coming back to Bethlehem and all the people are excited about her coming back. And yet she's not excited. She's bitter. She even tells him, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. She tells him she's bitter. She says, I left here full, but God has brought me back empty. And man, I, 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 I think sometimes we ought to read the Bible and just put ourselves in that place because, man, she's, she's really missing it, right? I mean, yes, she has now lost her husband and her two sons. She has reason to be frustrated, but she should have gone back to God in Israel and said, I've sinned. I've sinned. I'm mad at you, Because of the consequences of my own sin. We do that a lot with God, don't we? Maybe you guys don't. But a lot of people do. They're mad at God, but they won't walk with God. They're mad at God, but they won't acknowledge God. They're mad at God, but they don't trust God. Well, just so you know, if you don't trust God and you don't acknowledge God, you don't worship God, don't be mad at God. If you want to leave him out of your life, then be mad at whatever, but don't be mad at him. But there's Naomi. She's mad, bitter, angry. Matter of fact, she, she even fails to realize what she has in Ruth. She says, I left full, but I came back empty. And she saw no benefit from this young lady, Ruth. But, but here's Ruth, the foreigner, the hated foreigner, the hated foreigner, the one that was not allowed to be a part of the assembly of the Lord. She says, you know what, I'm going to serve this woman. And she asks, can I go serve in the fields? Can I go glean in the fields to bring home some food for us to eat? And we begin to see in the book of Ruth this this incredible grace that begins to just pour into these two women because she goes into the field and all of a sudden she's in a field owned by Boaz. Boaz. And all of a sudden, Boaz shows up, and Boaz shows her grace, and he shows her more than grace, he feeds her, and he makes sure she has plenty of grain to take home. and, And then we find out that he's a close relative of hers. He could be a kinsman redeemer, one that could actually buy them out of this disastrous place they're in. And it's just all coincidence, right? Of course not. It's this providential move of God in her life. And then we see that she works in Boaz's field throughout the whole entire barley and wheat harvest. It comes to the place at the end where Naomi actually says, I need to do something for you, Ruth. You need to have someone to take care of you in your life. So listen to my plan and go do this. And she tells Ruth to go to the the place where they're threshing grain and watch where Boaz is going to lay down. And then after he's laid down in the dark, you go to him, lay down at his feet, and when he finds out you're there, he'll tell you what to do. Pretty crazy plan in my estimation. But the Bible says that when he wakes up and he asks who this woman is, that Naomi basically proposes to him. That would be the modern day terminology for that. Naomi actually says to him, throw your cloak over me. And we talked about what that meant, right? That literally meant make a covenant with me. Make a covenant with me and make me yours. That was the that was the proposal. I need you to be my redeemer. I need you to be my savior. I need you to throw your cloak over me to make a covenant with me, just like God said he would do in the book of Ezekiel, that he was going to make a new covenant with his people. He was going to make them mine, Matter of fact, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 16, when God sees that Israel's in the time for love and, and then that she needs to be covered, he throws his skirt over. It's the same word used both times. And it means make a covenant and make me yours. And so it's just this powerful picture, right, that God has worked in this way. And Boaz agrees to do this. Matter of fact, he says, there's one closer relative, so I'm going to go talk to him tomorrow. If he decides to redeem you, great. If not, I'll redeem you. Either way, you are going to be taken care of. It's an incredible picture of just this glorious God. I mean, again, it's not specifically mentioned that God is doing all these things in the Bible. And yet, here are these two very, very undeserving women. Very, very isolated women that weren't going to have a lot of resources of their own to take care of themselves, they were beggars at this place, and naomi's bitter, and there wasn't a lot of hope for them except for God and his grace so let's let's start chapter four and let's see where we begin and let's just look at the end of the book of Ruth today. Ruth four: one now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He then, he took uh, 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying... And before the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his, uh, on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because... I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to come and to worship, to sing to you, Lord God, to celebrate your goodness, to remember the happy day that is coming for those who know you, and to realize, Lord God, that all of our sins have been washed away And forever we have been changed. We thank you for that, Lord. Give you praise for that. But I also thank you, Lord, that we can come and open your word, your living word, inspired by you, that it might speak to us, Lord. And that's my prayer. Speak to us, each one individually, and speak to us as a church. Lord God, we need to know who you are as the faithful redeemer. We need to know who you are that we might turn to you. We might we need to know what you've done, that you've made a covenant with us who have been saved, that we have become yours forevermore. And I pray, Lord God, that you would draw those that are lost here today to salvation. And I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us and teach us, those of us that have already been saved. And I do pray that the name of Jesus would be exalted this morning. And I pray in his name, Amen. So here we go. We see we seek Boaz and I mean, he's obviously a picture of the kinsman redeemer, and it's pretty fantastic to see how he's already been working. He's already shown great compassion to Naomi and to Ruth. He's already shown this willingness to to impact their lives and provide for them. But now you just see his kind of faithfulness. He's told Ruth, I'm going to deal with this. He gets up in the morning. He goes to the city gate where they do all business, right? Right? They didn't have a building that they did business with. They went to the entrance of the gate. All the elders of the city would go there. Anybody with transactions or wanted to buy property, sell property, they would go there. So he goes to the gate. He sits down. Lo and behold, here comes the other possible redeemer. No name. We could call him Mr. No Name. There's no name to him. We know nothing about him. We know zero about this guy because quite honestly, he's not going to show up. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to impact anybody's life. But anyway, he shows up and Boaz says, man, sit down here, friend. He finds 10 of the elders who are gonna be witnesses to this transaction and Boaz just cuts to the chase. And I love that. I love that he's very pragmatic about this. He's got a job to be done. And and quite honestly, as I look at this type of Christ, if you will, this redeemer picture through Boaz, I love how faithful God is to get about the business. You know, I love just to think, I mean, what did God do? for us, that we might have eternal life. And he didn't waste time, right? He didn't waste effort. He knew from the foundation of the world what had to be done, and that was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and rise again the third day that all who would believe in him would be saved. It was all about the business of saving. And right here, Boaz is all about the business of redeeming. And so he sits down with him. He gets the elders And it says, verse 4 So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. In other words, Boaz says, Here's the deal. Naomi's got to sell this piece of property. She's poor. If she sells this piece of property, we can give her the price of what it's for. So you can live on that for a while. You're probably still going to have to take care, of her, could take care of her in her old age to some degree. But basically, he starts off with this easy proposal, right? You're a closer redeemer than me. You have the right to redeem her. You have the responsibility redeemer. redeem her. You don't have the obligation. We talked about that last week. Right? This wasn't a brother of one of, the, of Ruth's husband. This was a close relative of Elimelech. They didn't have the responsibility to do this, but they had the opportunity. And so he says, you can do this. Step up and do this. And, and the guy initially says, sure, I'll do it. And, and I, kind of, I kind of like this picture because really what this first opportunity is is an easy one. Matter of fact, it's kind of a prosperous one. You know, In other words, you can buy this field from this woman, whatever the price is, but once you have this field, all you got to do is kind of take care of her as she grows old. But every year there's going to be a crop from this field, you're going to get the profits off of this. In other words, you can be a savior, but there's really not much cost to it. You can just step into it. You can throw a little money at it. You can take a little time to take care of Naomi. But really, you can be a savior, and there's not really any kind of sacrifice to this. And this guy ultimately says, sure, why not? There's nothing to lose. Except that's not really ever the picture of redemption. And it wasn't the full picture of redemption here. I mean, honestly, most of us, we like to help people when it doesn't cost us anything. Isn't that right? I mean, when we want to help people, if we have the time, we'll help them. If we have the money, we'll help them. If we have the strength, we'll help them. Even if we have kind of the desire to help them, we'll help them. But when helping someone cuts into our time or helping someone causes sacrifice financially or helping someone means an effort or something that is just more difficult than we want to give, a lot of times we're just like, oh, I can't do it. This guy said, well, if it's not going to cost me anything, if it's going to be easy and if it's going to be prosperous, of course I'll do this. And, you know, it's, it's not hard to see. I mean, this is a worldly way of thinking. This isn't a God-honoring way of thinking. I mean, the world always wants to know what's in it for me. And the world always wants to know how much it's going to cost me. And if you don't believe that, just deal with people at every level. You know, the first question I get when I talk to somebody about going overseas with us is how much is it going to cost? Now, that might be a natural response, but that's not really the question to ask. Not if you're walking with Jesus. The question to ask is, does God want me to go on that trip or not? Because if God wants you to go on any trip that we take, whether it's here in the States or whether it's overseas to Congo or Zambia or Portugal or wherever it is, God's going to provide the way for you. And most of you would tell me you believe that, but most of the time our response is based on, "Well, what are you going to go do over there? How much is it going to cost me? When are you going to go? Do I have to change my schedule? Do I have to take my vacation isn't that Is that true? You can shake your heads with me because I know it is. I 've done it for too many years to know it's not that it's true Well. Okay, sure, if it's not going to cost me anything, if I got the time, if it's easy, no sacrifice, yep, let's go. But then Boaz says, verse 5, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. (laughs) And the closest relative says, I'm out. It's a pretty insightful little thing for Boaz to say. Because he says, you need to know that there's more to it than just buying a piece of property and throwing some scraps at Naomi when she's got some problems. On the day that you buy the property from Naomi, you must acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Now, this, that phrase right there, you're going to take this woman to be your wife. She's a Moabitess. We've talked a lot about that the last few weeks. There really couldn't have been possibly many more groups more hated than the Moabites. And the fact that she was to be unacceptable to enter into the people of God, the assembly of God, would have been another social kind of hindrance, religious kind of hindrance, political kind of hindrance, whatever that would be. But if that weren't enough to tell him That you would take her as your wife in order to raise up a name of the deceased on his inheritance simply meant this. You take her as your wife, the firstborn son would literally belong to Limelech's family, and when he got old enough to own the property, the property would go to him. It wouldn't even be your property. So now you're gonna take in a wife, you're gonna take in a Moabite wife. The profits you thought you were going to gain from this property are going to be lost because they're not going to be yours. They're going to be his and his family's. But you have the opportunity to step into this and raise up a name on his own property. You have an opportunity to do the right thing by God. You're the man You're the first rite of redemption. You're the first kinsman redeemer. You're the first one that would deliver Naomi. You're the first one that could deliver Ruth. You're the first one that could impact a family in this powerful way. What do you want to do? And this guy goes, oh, no, no. It's all about me. I can't jeopardize my inheritance. And we kind of understand that, right? I mean, we really do work this way. It's, It's just a very fleshly way. We make our decisions based on what we think what are good for us and what we think are bad for us. If they're good, we think, okay, we'll jump into it. If it's bad, we're going to say no. It's not really about what God wants. This guy didn't in any way seek the Lord, didn't in any way want to know what God wanted him for, to do in this situation. He just said no. And, and you, you can kind of understand, if this guy wasn't married, he doesn't tell us, but if he wasn't married and he took Ruth in, and they had one son, and God never blessed him with another son, his original inheritance would be in jeopardy because the new son would get it all. and would get it all. And so he's like, I don't want to jeopardize that. If, if he was married, and again, we don't know, but let's say he brings in another wife into the family, pretty risky, but a Moabite wife, more risky. But if you had your own sons already, and they happened to die, then still the new son would get all the inheritance. I mean, it was, it was risky for sure. I mean, let's just face it. Walking by faith is risky. When we walk by faith, we don't control all the things that are going to happen. We don't control the future. We don't control whether things are going to work out or whether they're not going to work out. I mean, we, when we, we walk by faith. We walk by faith because we trust God. We do the right thing because we trust God. We do the right thing because God will always take care of us when we walk by faith. He'll always bless us. That's the way that goes. It's long-term trust in God that enables us to walk by faith today. Amen. But boy, if we don't have much long-term faith in God, we're not going to walk with him today. That's for sure. Well, this guy says, man, I'm out. He says, matter of fact, redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And let's read in verse 7 as we go further. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. <laughs> I love that. I, I just got to chuckle. I mean, I've read about some of this stuff, and they give some ideas of what they think of why they would take a sandal off, but none of them really satisfy. They don't really know. It, it was just this simple. I'll tell you what, Steve, if you want to make a contract with me, man, okay, there's my shoe. Okay, we're good, right? <laughs> Sorry, Steve. But I mean, I mean that's kind of it. You know, all right, hang on a second. There you go. and And... I don't know why. I really don't know why. You can look it up if you want to. But, but the truth of the matter is it was their way of signing the contract. Right? For us today, I signed the contract. The other guy signs the contract. The witnesses sign the contract. And we go, done deal. Right? That's how we attest to this thing. That's how we say this thing is done. And so they do that. He says, this is what happens. He goes on. He says, so the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal done. But then listen to what Boaz says. He says to the elders and the people, are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilean and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Amen. I, I love this kind of deep statement again. I mean, he acknowledges to them what he's done. I have bought from Ruth, or he says, excuse me, I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and to Malin and to Chilean. In other words, once Elimelech died, the land belonged to Chilean and Malon and they died and now it belongs to Naomi and I'm buying this land just so you know I'm gonna be faithful to do this but then he says, he says, moreover I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess I have taken Ruth the Moabitess to be my wife I'm not afraid to step into this situation it's not the perfect situation but God is in it it's not the cleanest situation, but God is in it. It's not the, the situation where you can just, I mean, feel comfortable about all the different things. You know, isn't that the way we kind of want it? How many of you want to do ministry where everything's clean and easy? I promise you, you do. But ministry is dirty many times because we only deal with sinners. Did you know that? When we do ministry, we deal with sinners. Sinners that let us down. Sinners that come to us broken. Sinners that are struggling. Even though Naomi had shown herself to be this amazing woman, faithful to, or excuse me, Ruth had shown herself to be this amazing woman, faithful to Naomi, she was still a Moabitess. He says, I've taken Ruth the Moabitess into my life. And it's even more powerful to say to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or the court or his birthplace, your witnesses today. and, And there's probably some implications about this raising up this name of the deceased in his own inheritance that I probably don't fully comprehend. But obviously, right, this was a family that had been established by God, had been given land by God, within the tribe of Judah that they were in. Man, they had the opportunity to be all that God wanted them to be and yet in their brokenness, they had sinned and rebelled and died and now this name was gonna be wiped out. And I don't know all the implications about this, but I I think about us and who we are and how God created us in his image and, and I realize that You know, those who have rejected Jesus Christ, right, those that have said, no, I'm going to go my own way, the Bible says very clearly that they're going to be judged for their sins. And the Bible's very clear that they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the Bible says, in Revelation chapter 20, and the Bible says they're going to be tormented day and night, forever and ever, apart from the presence of God, apart from the presence of God. And there's not going to be this value to their life. And there's not going to be this future to their life. They're going to be wiped out. They're literally going to be dead forever apart from God. And I think about the redeemer that Boaz is the picture of. And why did he come? He came to buy us out of that sin, buy us out of that slavery, and the Bible teaches us that those of us who have been forgiven of our sins, right, we are, we're made new, and restored to our relationship with God, and for us to live forever is going to be live in the presence of the Lord, where Revelations tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the Lord is going to bring the new Jerusalem down into this new earth, and there's God's going to tabernacle with us forever. I mean, we had, Beth and I had the chance to witness to a couple of Mormon missionaries the last two weeks. And this last time, one of them was asking me, well, what does heaven look like to you? I said, well, here's, here's what heaven looks like to me. Here's what, here's what the Bible teaches us about heaven. Because sometimes we think about heaven, and I've actually had Christians say, well, are we just going to, like, sit on a cloud and, you know, play a harp or something? I'm like, do you ever read your Bible? But go back and figure that out. But but here's the picture, right? Here's the picture of redemption. In the beginning, God created man and woman in his image. In the beginning, God walked in the Garden of Eden with them, and there was no shame between them and God, and there was no shame between them, one another. And God said, Look, this is gonna be paradise. As long as you don't eat off the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat off that tree, you're gonna die. And of course they did. We all know the story. But the death was so tragic because they were first ashamed of themselves. They knew they were guilty and naked before each other and they, they put fig leaves on to cover themselves for the first time. Then God came, comes walking. He calls to them. Of course they're hiding from him because they're, they're ashamed of him. And it's just this, ugly brokenness of separation from God, and God literally sends them out of the garden so that they'll never come back and eat from the tree of life, and he puts an angel there with a sword so he makes sure that they don't come back in, and then we read of the redemption of God, Romans, or Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and God talks to the woman and says, the seed of the serpent's going to strike at your seed, and and your seed's going to crush his head, And we realize right away God has this plan of redemption. and We read of Abraham coming in, God choosing him and bringing him in the promised land and and saying to him, through your seed, all families on earth are going to be blessed. All families. And we realize that that seed he's talking about through through the book of Galatians is the one seed, Jesus Christ. And so then we get this picture of God bringing Abraham in, bringing in the law through Moses, and how no one could keep the law. They all failed. And how God eventually brought in Christ Jesus, who then, as the God-man lived a sinless life and went to the cross and paid the price for our sins, died the death that was ours to die, took the punishment that was ours to take and rose from the dead on the third day and then teaches us how to walk in this world and plants his church to share his gospel all the way to the end where we read again about God doing away with all sin and all sinners and making the new heaven and the new earth where what? Men and women can live again (laughs) unashamed. Unashamed. The presence of God. Do you not understand about reestablishing this name? God has reestablished this relationship with us and him through his redeemer. And Boaz says, I'm going to do that for this family. I'm going to reestablish this thing that was torn down and broken down. And I'm going to give you redemption through God's grace. And you and I... We have so much grace been poured out on us through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's redeemed us and reestablished our name and reestablished our purpose and reestablished our relationship with him and our relationship with one another. Man, in heaven there's not going to be any shame or guilt. You know anybody that when you see them you kind of go, oh, I hope they don't notice me. Not because of them, but because of you. It's not going to happen that way in heaven. It's not going to be that way with God. There's no more guilt. Boaz says, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I've done today. You guys are witnesses. And in verse 11, it says, all the people who were in the court, and the elders said, we're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. So all the people responded, him and go, look, man, this is a blessed day. And they go... May this woman, may this Moabite woman that you've now redeemed be like Rachel and Leah who built the house of Israel. Anyone know Rachel and Leah, right? They were Jacob's wives and they bore to Jacob 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And they built this house of Israel for God's glory for generations to come. They say, May Ruth be like them. What a what an unimaginable thing to say about a Moabite. And yet there's God's redemption and God's grace displayed through Boaz. If that's not enough, they say something a little more confusing. Verse 12, Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, I'm sure some of you know the story of Tamar, but it is a convoluted story. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, right? The son of Jacob, Judah, his daughter-in-law. She was married to his oldest son, Ur, and the Bible says that he was wicked and evil in God's sight, and God killed him. He judged him. So Judah says to his next son, Onan, do the right of redemption. Be the kinsman redeemer. Take her as your wife. Raise up a child for her. And Onan was nasty. The Bible basically says this. He spilled his seed. Had no intention of having this woman have a child of his. And the Bible says God took him too and killed him. So Judah had one more son. And so Judah said to Tamar, you go home until he comes of age and then we'll work this whole thing again. He he can be your husband. That's the way this is worked out according to the law. But when he got old enough to be her husband, Judah didn't send him to be her husband. Judah had already lost two sons. Maybe thought he was going to lose another one, but he didn't do it. So Tamar then comes up with a plan of her own. She finds out when Judah's going to be traveling. She goes and sits down by the road, and she wears prostitute clothes. And so she, sure enough, Judah being the great man of integrity that he was, sees a prostitute, goes into her, and he says, You know what, I'll send you a goat later in payment. Don't have one with me now. And she goes, how am I going to know? And so he gives her a couple of his items to keep for himself so, you know, she'll know he's going to pay. Well, they try to send the goat, but there's no prostitute because she's gone. She's not really a prostitute. She's really duped him. And then they find out that she's pregnant, and Judah's like, she should die. And so they're taking her out to kill her, and she says, why don't you take these things to Judah and say, the father of this baby owns these things uh oh and Judah's like well I can't kill her she's more righteous than me and so she has twins one named Perez who is in the lineage not just of David but of Jesus and I don't really again know all the implications to this blessing other than you see how convoluted it was with Tamar and Judah and yet through them, Perez is now part of our lineage that will lead us even to our ultimate redeemer. Look what happened here. Ruth the It shouldn't have ever happened this way. It's a little bit convoluted. But may this child she's going to have be like Perez and be a blessing to the generations to come in the name of the grace and the redemption of the Lord God Almighty. Listen, I love this. I love to think about who's in the lineage of our Savior. How can it be that Ruth the Moabite is in there? How can it be that Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah, in this strange, horrible situation, be in there? How can Rahab the harlot be in there? how can How can Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, be in there? How? It's so good to see it in there because salvation, redemption, this redemption of Boaz to Ruth and to Naomi isn't about merit. It's not about merit. It's about grace. It's about forgiveness of sinners. And I am an undeserving sinner. I am a Ruth. I am a, I'm a Tamar. I'm a Judah. I'm, a, I'm an undeserving sinner. And yet by the grace of God, they're praying for God to bless Bo- Boaz and Ruth just like he's blessed these other broken human beings that needed God's grace more than they needed breath in their bodies. And he goes on as we look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife. He went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. I even love that verse. Verse. She did not conceive with melon, but God enabled her to conceive. God had a plan. God had a way. And God blessed. Hallelujah for God's grace. And then it says, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be a restorer of life and sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better than seven sons has given birth to him. Basically what they say is, look, Naomi, how God has blessed you. Look how God has blessed you. Do you remember when you came back from Moab and you said, call me, Mara, bitter? God has blessed you now. How could you ever imagine the goodness of God coming this far? And and don't you love what they said? He's blessed you with a redeemer today. Boaz has redeemed her and Ruth, but now she has a redeemer of her own, a child that would grow to be a restorer of life and a provider for you in your old age. Don't you love this sweet picture of God remaking a broken, lost, hurting old lady. And then he says, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than to you than seven sons. She's boring. In other words, man, you can know that this kid's going to be a sustainer of your life because of the woman that he comes from who came and gave her life for you anyway. And then the picture that we end on is fantastic. Naomi takes the child, lays him in her lap, becomes his nurse. And the women Gave him a name saying "A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. If we would go on farther, the father of Jesus. The picture, I came back empty. I came back empty. No husband, no sons, no hope for a future. Is now changed to a child on her lap through a Redeemer, giving her a Redeemer, giving her life, reestablishing her family, giving her hope. Man, we, we don't have a God that is distant. We don't have a God who is uncaring. We have a God who loves. We have a God who wants to restore We have a God who wants to make new. We have a God who wants to establish and bless and give life. Oh, he will most assuredly judge sin. He will. But his desire is that no man should perish, but all should, all should come to repentance. And quite honestly, his picture of redemption is so much more marvelous than the picture of Boaz and his redemption. So much more marvelous because he gave the greatest sacrifice. He gave the greatest sacrifice. God became man and laid down his life. He became our sin that all who would believe in him would become the righteousness of God through him. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't act like us. He wasn't in it just for himself, he was in it that we might have life. And men, There is nothing on this planet more precious and more gracious and more hopeful and more sustaining than to have faith in Jesus Christ and let him wash us clean. Some of you here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus, but he's your redeemer. There's only one. There's only one that had the value. There's only one that was holy enough. There was only one that could give his life for the sins of the world, that's Jesus Christ. And he's willing to save you today if you'll believe in him. It's not about changing. It's not about getting better. It's about trusting in Jesus and his work that he's done already for us to save us. Some of us, we're already saved, right? Sometimes we live like there's no hope. Sometimes we live like there's no redeemer. Sometimes we live like we have to earn our way back into God's graces. And the truth is, is you can come to him today and say, Lord, I did. I've sinned and I'm sorry. But Lord, you love me. And you'll wash me clean. And you'll keep me and you'll nurture me and you'll finish what you started. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. I'm thankful for a redeemer. How about you? In a minute, I'm gonna pray and I'm going to have Pastor Rick come up and we're just gonna do the Lord's Supper. We're not gonna do an invitation. But you can you can talk with God right now. Don't you think you can't? If God's dealing with your heart and you need to trust him as Savior, you tell him now, I'm sorry, I need I need a savior, I need you to forgive me. I do believe he died and rose again, Lord. He'll do it right now. But I want you to take a moment as I pray and as Rick comes. Uh, to prepare your hearts we're we're coming to think about this redeemer right now we're going to remember his shed blood his broken body we're going to celebrate give him glory so pray with me as pastor Rick comes heavenly father you're an amazing god you're so good and you've been so gracious you've been gracious to me i'm grateful I sometimes don't know how to tell you thank you enough. But I'm thankful. And we were thankful for Jesus. And we marvel at your work in our lives. We marvel at your work in our world. We marvel that you desire for all to come to repentance, Lord God. You desire for men and women to be saved. And you made the way through your life on the cross, through your resurrection. As we. Observe this Lord's Supper. Help us remember. Help us proclaim your death until you come. And we'll give you praise, Lord. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Isn't
5: God good? as we prepare for the Lord's Supper we need to be examining ourselves the word of God says we're to eat worthily not unworthily in Christ we have been saved we've been purified but if there's sin in our life we need to confess that we need to talk to God and say Lord forgive me change me In Ephesians uh, 2, it reads, chapter 2, verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly, were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Do you have peace with God today? We have peace through Jesus Christ and his shed blood Let's just take a moment to reflect on that, to pray to God, confess sin, whatever needs to be done. God, let's pray.
2: You will save whom you will save. We're the lost and helpless one. Rebels and the renegades who spurned your holy love. You will save him, you will save. Mercy will be magnified. Christ has overcome the grave. Lord, you have loved us and opened our eyes, it's your grace.
5: Let's take the bread together. The Apostle Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which, was, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke, broke it and said, This is my body. Which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray first. Lord God, we give thanks just as uh, you did at that Passover meal with the disciples. Father, thank you for giving yourself as a sacrifice for our sin. Thank you for doing that. Let's partake together uh, in the Lord. Jesus also took the cup. He took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blood of Christ that washes all our sins away. Thank you for giving us new life through through Christ. Father, thank you for your word today. May it be a reality in our lives. Thank you for redeeming us and bringing us to yourself. We need you so badly, Lord. Thank you for salvation. Bless your church today as we part our ways. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.